Bienvenidos a todos nuestra familia. Welcome to all of our family. We are so grateful that you have carved out time to be with your Heritage Church family. I'm joining you from one of our campuses where we are so grateful that we get to join together in physical space for worship on Sundays at 9 and 11. But you know, as we do that, we're really mindful that we're joining together with thousands of other people across our network. At Kiwani, we see you guys at Kiwani. We can't wait to be with you again uh, for worship. Um, also online, on TV, in lots of different environments, and we celebrate that. We celebrate that the church is not a building. It's not just a place that we go to, but we are the church. You know, one of the great things that we've been entering into as a church family are, are really being uh, paying attention to practices of body, mind, spirit, and community. Um, and so each week we've been inviting you to engage with a new rhythm around one of those practices. This week, the practice is focused on our mind, and it's, it's really an invitation to memorizing scripture. You know, it is really powerful when we spend time in God's word, and we don't just read it, but we actually meditate on it. And we, and we take it into our hearts, we take it into our minds, and we allow it to really anchor us. I remember as a young child, uh, memorizing Psalm 119, and I memorized it in the King James Version, so here it is. Thy word have I hid in my heart so that I might not sin against thee. And that scripture is one that I've carried with me for decades now. Um, and I, can't, I don't even know that I can remember it in another version because I first memorized it in that way. There are so many scriptures for me that, I have, that I've memorized, that I've stored up in my heart, that God has used to guide and protect me. Um, to give me confidence that I can, I can speak truth back to lies that the enemy might be confronting me with. And we wanna invite you to, to engage in that practice, not just in this week, but, but in the weeks to come as we continue in our Lenten journey. You know, we've invited you to be reading along with us in the book of Mark. And each week we're highlighting a verse of the week from one of our Mark passages. This might be a great scripture for you to choose. However you choose to engage with it though, we want to encourage you to memorize scripture. Don't just be a hearer of God's word, but be one who stores it up in your heart and acts out of that knowledge. We're so excited to get to worship together. We are so grateful that we serve a God who is mighty, who is strong, and who is unstoppable. Let's worship together.
God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant, faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proven you do just what you say. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I remain steadfast. And in my heart, when you speak a word, it will come to pass. Great is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the setting same, I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to me. Though the earth may pass away, your word remains the same. Your history can prove there's nothing you can do. You're faithful and true. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word.
You know, the scriptures are the promises of God for us. They're a reminder of his character, of the story of his people, and an invitation for us to interact with the truths of, of who God is. I'm so grateful for the promises of God and the invitation that Pastor Beth gave us a little earlier to hide God's word in our heart. One way that we can do that is actually in praying scripture back to God. There's something powerful that happens when we pray the very words of scripture back to the one who authored them. Something happens in our souls, an encouragement of sorts, where we're reminded of what is true and we can pray with faith, sure that God is hearing these very words that he has given us. One of my favorite places to pray scripture is actually in the book of Psalms, because the Psalms are a prayer book. In fact, I love knowing that when I pray the Psalms, I'm actually praying from the prayer book Jesus himself would have used. Again, there's something that ministers to my very soul in knowing that these words have been uttered before by thousands and thousands, millions of followers of God, by Jesus himself in pursuit of the Father. So I'm actually going to read a passage of the Psalms to us and invite you into a place of prayer where then we'll pray these words together. Let me read it to you, and then I'll invite you to reflect as before we pray them back. Psalm 27 verse 1 says this, The Lord is the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And so I invite you in this space to think of the spaces and places in your life where you're feeling stress or fear or anxiety. A place where you need God to show up as the one who rescues, who stay, who saves, who is a strong place. As you reflect on that, then we're going to respond back to God by praying these words again back to Him. So take just a moment and carry that place of anxiety for you and lay them before the feet of Jesus. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The psalmist ends this time of prayer in a prayer that I want to pray over us as we prepare for the time of message. It's simply this. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Hey friends, you know what this is? What's it called? That's right, it's a screwdriver. And what's it for? Yeah, tightening and loosening screws. This is particularly for flatheads. 
Good job, and I'm pretty sure many, if all, knew the answers to those questions. In fact, highly unlikely that many, if any, didn't know what this was and what it's for. However, I think if we're honest, many of us leaning in today could have said this was a pry bar, even a chisel, scraper, or paint can opener, right? Yeah, even a box cutter, hole puncher, pointer, and gross thingy remover. This is far more than just a screwdriver for many of us in our world. Yet, this is what it is. It is a screwdriver. It's what it's made for. And we can certainly use it for those other things, but it's all outside of scope. It's not its intended purpose. It's actually a misuse of the tool itself. And then some of those misuses can be more problematic than others because they are outside of the intended purpose and design. And even though it may seemingly work to use it for different things, this thing was designed for one purpose, installing and removing screws. <laughs> Yet, it is by far the most often misused tool in our toolbox. And if your dad was like mine, you heard the words, use the right tool for the job, more than once. Now, I bring all that up and mention all of that because I think in our spiritual lives and in our relationship with God, we can know the original intent of something. We may even have the right tool, but we can choose to engage it and use it outside of its original design. And even though it may seemingly appear to work, it's not best and often far more costly than we realize. Hold that thought for just a few moments. You see, we're well on our way to celebrating the most important event in all of human history, Jesus' triumph over sin and death, giving us a way back to God. He conquered the grave. He defeated death by his cross and his crown, by his authority, but also his humanity expressed in humility. And we are preparing to remember and celebrate all of that with the help of a few moments captured in the book of Mark. In fact, if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to go ahead and turn or click to Mark chapter 11. We're going to be hanging out in there in just a few moments. But as you're turning to Mark 11, I just want to mention that although we're not doing a study through the book of Mark, we are allowing Mark to be our on-ramp to Easter. Because if we step back and look comprehensively at the book of Mark, it really has two halves. One about the authority of Jesus and the other about his humanity and humility toward the journey to a cross. And you can catch all of the cross and crown conversations online. In fact, next week we're going to lean into Passion Week and look at the realities of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But what I want to do today is I want to kind of fast forward, even leapfrog over that entry moment and look at one more moment, one more cross and crown dynamic before we step back to that entry into Passion Week. So let's go ahead and jump right to it. This is Mark chapter 11. Hope you're already there. If not, we'll just have it up there on the screen for you. Now, again, this is happening after he enters into Jerusalem. And the very first thing, we'll go back to that next week. The very first thing he does is he goes to the temple. In fact, Mark 11, verse 11, says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. And since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12, the 12 disciples. Now, something to understand about this dynamic was, Tons of people were crowding into Jerusalem at this time. It was jam-packed. 
People were coming for a very specific time of celebration and remembrance. And Jesus is going to be spending his night, each night, out in Bethany at his friend's house, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And he's making that journey out and back each day. It's a little over five kilometers, a little over three miles to get there. And he's going out there this first night and he's going to come back in the next day. And that's where we're picking this up. Mark 11, verse 15. Check this out. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Verse 18, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came though, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. So they go back to Bethany. Now listen, this is one more overt crown moment for Jesus. It's an authority moment for him. And again, he's gonna come back into Jerusalem the next day. But on this moment, Jesus demonstrates his divine authority. He's on his way to the cross, but he takes time to establish right authority in the temple space. And again, as a frame of reference, this is Passover week. This is a week-long celebration where there is time to remember the exodus out of Egypt. And this happens on Monday of that week. And in this particular space, Jesus demonstrates his crown authority very intentionally. See, the synoptic gospels, which would be Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and really synoptic is speaking to that those three gospels tell the story of Jesus from, from a similar view. All three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, identify this moment at the end of his public ministry space where he demonstrates his authority this way. However, John actually mentions a temple clearing moment all the way back in John chapter 2, the beginning of his journey. And one of the neat things about that is the details around what John describes really do set it apart as something different and as something not the same as what's being described by the other three at this point. But here's what all four gospels reveal when they speak of that kind of temple clearing experience, that this is not the first time that Jesus was disappointed in the behavior of people. It's also not the only time he felt anger. We just have to back up to Mark chapter three where Jesus heals the hand, the shriveled hand of a man. Right before he does that, it says that he looked with anger at the religious leaders. The difference in that moment and this one is Jesus didn't then heal out of anger. In this moment, his anger that stirred prompts his next steps and actions in a different way. Now, hear me. Jesus did not have a problem controlling himself. This is not because he couldn't control his emotions. He, he always controlled himself. He, he, he never stepped outside of that. He is perfect. He controls himself far better than you and I can. He didn't have a problem controlling or managing his emotions. He wasn't prone to anger. And we know that simply by looking at far more complicated dynamics where anger was not the thing he chose to engage with. But when we look at this space, in this case, he not only felt that anger was justified, he also decided that it was the appropriate expression, that it was appropriate to express it. And he chose anger, really, as the right tool 
in a space where others were misusing a couple of other tools. See, this moment is a mix of, of correction, instruction, and also provision. It's not just a space of rebuke. It's actually a space of restoration. Because there's three things happening here. There are two misuses taking place, but then there's also an invitation that Jesus invites. See, the, the temple was a space to encounter God. It was a tool that God offered to his people as a means of encountering him. And it was, it was divided into sections of different levels of engagement from outer to inner. And, and people were to come and experience him, offer sacrifices and offerings, and, and even to pay temple tax. But it was all in a single currency. So when we have travelers that were coming in for this season and this week, they needed to exchange their currency for the acceptable currency. On top of that, they had the space of purchasing things like doves to offer sacrifices because many travelers weren't able to bring all the right kinds of things that they would need to offer in a space of worship in the temple. So they provided access to those things. And hear me, that was fine. The, the purpose of the transaction was not the issue for Jesus. The nature of it was. First and foremost, they were gouging these folks. They were using outrageous rates, exploiting them they're exploiting the people coming to worship for their own gain. That was a huge problem. It was a misuse. Even though it was working, it was a misuse of the tool and the space that it should have been happening there. On top of that was an issue about location. See, this was happening in a space where the Gentiles, it was the only space where the non-Jews, the Gentiles, could worship and pray. And when Jesus mentions all nations, he's referring back to something in Isaiah 56 that talks about the godly, all godly and righteous can come in worship before him. And so in this particular moment, a place of prayer became a place of profit. They made it about them and no longer about worship of God. So in this dynamic, we have short changers, but we also have some short cutters. Take a look at this, verse 16, where it says that Jesus would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. That is a detail that only Mark includes. And it speaks to those who were really misusing the sacred space as a shortcut between the city and the Mount of Olives. They were, they were using a, the temple as a pass-through for their own convenience. Now, hear me. We all make shortcuts, we all take shortcuts. We, we do it when we drive on a trip. We do it when we go to the store and we're shopping. But we may even do it when we dress professionally from the waist up for a video conference call. <laughs> shortcuts can be seemingly innocent, but the reality is they can detract from what's best and they can become costly misuses if we're not careful. And this shortcut, along with the other items and things of exploitation, they were all interfering with God's provision. Exploiting, shortcutting, and a lack of focus on prayer all leads Jesus to begin to feel anger about what's happening in the space. And I want you to hold that thought for just a moment because it's, it's, it's okay to be angry. In fact, just say that right where you're at. Just say, it's okay to be angry. If you're next to somebody, nearby somebody, turn to them and say, it's okay to be angry. Go ahead, just do it. It's okay to be angry. Everybody feels anger. We, we may handle it differently, respond to it differently, but anger is a natural God-given emotion. It's human. It, it's not evil. 
It's not even inherently bad. It's quality. Listen, it's quality is determined by what we do with it, what we do in it. And some may lash out. And some people may stuff it down deep inside. Some people may hold it in for a long period of time until they explode out hours, days, or weeks later. If we take time to step back and look at our family history, we can actually see patterns of how we handle anger. Yet, regardless of your lineage or your tendencies, we are all positioned to submit our natural human anger at the foot of the cross under the authority of Jesus' crown. See, we don't have to read very far in the Bible to see that it's filled with admonitions and reminders about being careful and cautious when we're angry, to not sin in our anger, to be slow to embrace anger, not because it's bad, but because it's so easy to mishandle, so easy to mismanage, easy to misuse. And because there's a difference between godly anger and what we could call human anger, between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. The Bible clearly says that not all anger is wrong. But righteous anger comes from a different space than human anger. It's about offense towards God, not us. Its primary focus is God and others, not ourselves. And righteous anger cares about others and addresses sin in others more than addressing the sinner. Yet hear this, human anger tends to elevate our purpose, not his. Human anger tends to elevate our purpose, not his. But God never gives his righteousness for our human anger. He never gives his power for our purpose. It's, it's never to serve our own priorities or to provide us with a shortcut. His focus is always bigger, better, broader. It's never self-serving. It is not just about us. It is certainly for us. But yet when we misuse, when it's misused for personal gain or, or at another's expense or our convenient, it, convenience, it's a problem. Because in, in the end, human anger tends to elevate our purpose, not his. But let me just pause for a moment. Because there is a space that is appropriate for rebuke. There is. Jesus shows us that more than once, but certainly in Mark chapter 11. Yet I think far too many people do it too liberally these days. Lots of people move through life angry about different dynamics and decisions and situations, the things that upset us. I get the dynamic, but listen, righteous anger is never about us. It's not about us. It's about things that are unbiblical, things that are immoral, things that are unethical. It's not about what's preferential. It's not about us. Even Jesus acknowledged that, in, that his anger was on behalf of his father's purpose for a house of prayer. So hear me. There's a place for righteous indignation. It's okay to be upset about sin and injustice. Again, the things that are unbiblical, immoral, unethical. And we should take a stand against those things. I think, unfortunately, though, many are either passive about those important things or far too stirred up and angry over petty ones. Yet godly anger is always directed at the right issues. It's always for his purpose. It's never to retaliate. It's never to harm. But I'll tell you, it can harm when it's misused, when we don't function out of that space in a healthy way, which is one reason why we're cautioned to be careful 
in spaces of anger. And why James, the brother of Jesus, says this in James 1, verses 19 and 20. My dearest brothers and sisters, take this to heart. He's like, hey, listen up. He's like, take this to heart. Be quick to listen, but slow to speak. And be slow to become angry. There are two things where we're to be willing to receive in humility. And then there's a place to express, but to be slow in getting there. But here's the kicker, verse 20. For human anger is never, listen, human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purpose. Never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purpose. Our own human anger about our own priorities and our own preferences, it's not the right tool. Because our our anger tends to elevate and promote and prioritize our purpose, not his. And he never gives his power for our purpose. Look, we are all positioned to submit our natural human anger at the foot of the cross to be subject to the crown of Christ. But for us to be able to step into that reality, we need to understand and recognize that human anger is rooted in how we feel, but righteous, godly anger is rooted in who God is. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Righteous anger is rooted in what we know of Him and His purpose. And misaligned priority will lead to misplaced anger. And that's costly. And and can even be a place of spiritual vulnerability for us. So we have to choose wisely when we elect to embrace anger. And godly anger is not based in emotion, but righteousness. It's not about our preferences, but about His purpose and His presence. Yet too many hold great anger over personal preference while lacking the conviction to even acknowledge his preference. Man, I got to tell you, deliberately looking for something to be outraged about and finding offense in nearly everything is exhausting and spiritually disruptive. And it's not what Jesus was doing in Mark chapter 11. He knew that in his humanity and in his divinity, that our focus can drift either toward him or away from him that we have to choose our way or his way. And when he says, look, come to me, let me be Lord and Savior. Let me wash you clean of your sin and position you to live into life to the full. He's inviting us into a space, but it's a space where we have to take off our own crown, our own authority and take up his cross and his crown. Let him be Lord. And if we're willing to do that, we can be transformed. But get this, in the end, being delivered from sin is not the same as being delivered from our human nature. We're still human, even when we've experienced Jesus' amazing, saving grace. And we all have things in our human nature we need to work out. Habits and prejudices that need to be forsaken, set aside, abandoned, abstained from. But then there are actually things that need to be driven out by divine intervention, by the authority of the cross, by the authority and the power of a resurrected Jesus. That's the stuff where we're transformed and purified, routing out our own self-destructive tendencies, the, the shortcuts in our lives, the spaces of misuse when we're misusing the things that he provides. And we need the strength of his spirit to do that. Yet we have a role. In fact, it was theologian Oswald Chambers who said this, God does not make us holy in the sense of character. He makes us holy in the sense of innocence. And we have to turn that innocence into holy character by a series of moral choices. That's a journey of turning from the natural life to the spiritual life. Yet the people in the temple that day, back in Mark 11, they had made some poor moral choices that were 
selfish and self-serving. And it stirred Jesus' humanity in a space of anger. Yet he was able to immediately channel that legitimate anger towards his divine authority into a space of God's purpose and God's plan. Really the space of submitting to the authority of his crown and restoring the sacred space to what should have been and to end what was being misused. What's really interesting to me about that is in a space where his actions of intensity, what he was doing, should have brought the temple guards down on him, could have brought the priest down in intervention. None of them did anything. They didn't, they didn't stop him because everyone in the space could tell that something was different, that he was different, that in reality, the order of all things are subject to his crown, even above human roles. And in the whole temple dynamic, it actually shows us that Proximity to the things of God alone don't bring about the righteousness of God. Just knowing about is only part of it. To experience the fullness of his healing, his power, his redemption, it requires yielding and setting aside our interests for his. It, it, prioritizing his agenda and his purpose. We have to surrender to his authority and to his identity in all of our choices. And so I wonder where you in your life have chosen to let anger misuse what God has provided. In a space of family, uh, relationships, your job, even your church dynamic, how you use talent, time, and treasure, where have you let your desire override his authority? Where have you let anger misuse what God has provided for his purpose? We need to know the answer to that because just like the temple, we were created for him. Our, our bodies, we are, the, <laughs> we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In, in the space of how we treat and manage that, are we using it or misusing it? The, the reality is that it, when we clutter our lives, when we misuse our life, when we use it for shortcuts to lesser things, he grieves. If, if we have forgiveness, but we go on sinning, he grieves. If, when he gives us access to his power, but we keep going on in our own power, man, he grieves that. He's frustrated in that space because we're not living in fullness. And when, when he offers us proximity to him, but we're still focused on what we can get from other people. That's another space that he grieves and weeps and longs for more. Look, where we're going in the next couple weeks on our journey towards Easter is really positioning us to be in a space to choose what we do with two different crowns. How we respond to the realities of Jesus' authority and his humanity expressed in humility. This is an incredibly important choice. We never want to misuse it. And we're going to step, step back next week into that entry moment and the realities of Passion Week. But for today, I want to invite you to identify just one space, one thing in your life that you can actually position and set in a way where it's being used and not misused in your life. Uh, to make a decision of submitting to his authority, bringing something before the cross so that he will look upon you with affirmation and not frustration or anger. That he look upon you with joy rather than disappointment because you have chosen to no longer misuse what he has provided in life and in love. But that's an individual choice we all get to make. So let's just take a moment to pray and I want to invite the Lord to speak to you about where he's inviting you into a next level exchange in reality to his cross and to his crown. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for Jesus and the fact that he offers life and life to the full. I pray that you would help each one of us 
to live before you in a way where you can work through us and not in spite of us. Help us to be a people who prioritize your purpose over ours and live in a posture submitted before the cross of Christ and under the authority of his crown as a risen Lord. So speak to my friends, even now as we step back into a moment of worship together through song. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. the voice that spoke into the void, the breath that brought the dust to life, and sang the stars to fall, the darkness fears your voice. Drove it back before And all the night is long And all your light Will drive it back once more One word from you Things change on you
grateful for this journey that we've been on together, really looking at the cross and the crown of Jesus. Pastor Sean reminded us today that proximity to God doesn't necessarily mean that we experience the rightness, the righteousness of God in relationship. 
And, and actually, it's something that we have to choose. We've got to choose to be in relationship with Jesus. And so, friends, if you've never made that decision to have a relationship with Jesus, we would just love for today to be the day. So if you would text FAITH to the number that you see on the screen, we would, we would just be honored to get to journey with you, to answer any questions that you have, to pray for you, and to pray with you. There's nothing more important than having a relationship with Jesus. It truly does change everything. Speaking of relationship, we love having the opportunity to connect with you online and through TV. Um, but we want to invite you, if you've been considering joining us for an in-person service, we would love for Easter Sunday to be the day. On Easter Sunday, we will be coming to you from all of our usual um, opportunities to connect. So we'll have our online services, we'll have our TV opportunities, but we are going to be offering three in-person service opportunities at our Rock Island campus and three in-person service opportunities at our Bettendorf campus. They're gonna be at special times, 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., and 11.30 a.m. We're gonna invite you to register to save your seat. Um, you don't need to give us all the information of everyone in your party, but you'll be able to give us a contact name and a number, and we'll be able to make sure that there's room for everyone who wants to gather together in worship in person on Easter Sunday. We'll also be having kids worship opportunities, which we need you to register for so we can be prepared to love on your kiddos well. These opportunities are available for children ages four through third grade, and they're available at all of those service times. We are so excited. We can't wait for Easter. It's hard to believe that Easter is coming, but really it's just a few short weeks away. So we encourage you to interact with all of those opportunities. If you have any trouble navigating the app or our website, please call our church office and we would love to serve you however we can. Friends, we love you. We see you. We are so grateful that we are in this together and we pray that you have an awesome, awesome week. You cannot be stopped. You have already defeated hell. Yeah. You cannot be stopped. You have already defeated hell. Yeah. I'm dancing on the grave. The one tell me that. Dancing on the chains that are laid on the ground